0: Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. On today's podcast, Pastor of Assimilation and Community, Jim Bennett, focuses on preparing us for a new year by looking into Matthew 20 20 through 28 we will consider flipping our metaphors upside down and seek greatness in humility and leadership in service. Listen in as we try to apply the model Jesus teaches us as we enter into 2021 in this sermon, Leadership for 2021.
1: Today's message is on leadership for 2021. We'll be talking out of Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. And you'll find Matthew is the first book, Of the New Testament in the Bible. So you can find your way there on your phone or tablet or old fashioned paper Bible, and uh, we'll be talking about that together. In this passage, we'll see that Jesus taught about leadership using the metaphor of a servant. And that may seem backwards to some people back then, and it still seems backwards to some people right now, but Jesus makes his point very clear. And so today we hope to make that clear to you as well in whatever uh, facet or organization or age group you lead uh, that you would exhibit biblical leadership as a servant. So here's how the passage begins. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked for a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other may sit at your left hand in your kingdom. If you or you don't know what you're saying, Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Now let's take a pause just for a moment in this passage and think about what's happening. Uh, a mother comes to make a request for her two sons. These two sons happen to be two of the 12 immediate disciples of Jesus. Turns out James and John were Jesus' cousins on his mother's side. So here was one of Mary's sisters coming to Jesus and trying to invoke sort of a kinship advantage. This wasn't unusual, and we shouldn't uh, you know, hold it too much against her. Um, this was pretty common. You even see it in the Old Testament where uh, Bathsheba, Uh, advocated to King David as he got older and older that uh, Solomon should be the one son he picked, and it was her son, to be the next king. And so this happens quite a bit and she asks and says, can they do this? Now, whether she really knew what she was asking, Jesus questions that. He says, you don't know what you're asking. But this was kind of a common approach back in the New Testament times and even in the Old Testament times. So They answer, we can. Now, really, they have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, They're asking to sit at Jesus' right hand in the kingdom and in his left hand. Well, if we look at New Testament and even pre-New Testament rules and how this worked and about kings and thrones, we see that the right-hand side and the left side, sitting at your right hand or your left hand, uh, would indicate the two prime positions of authority and power. So uh, we see an account from Josephus uh, where King Saul has his son on his one side and his general on his other side and sets them up in the prime positions of power for everyone to see. Here's the throne, the right side, the left side. And it's very obvious. You see this in judges and a couple places in Psalms too, where it points out the elevation of authority that these two positions invoke. Uh, And so this, The mother's asking for that for these two disciples. Well, Jesus answers them and he says, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now, I think the other ten disciples were a little bit mad, probably because they hadn't thought about it first and they probably would have asked for themselves anyway. Uh, You see, in chapter 18, if you go back later and look in your Bible, you see in chapter 18, they're already walking along, arguing about who's going to be the greatest. So this was something in their egos and in their uh, discipleship for Jesus that they hadn't quite caught yet. They were trying to each claim the top spot in one form or another. Well, Jesus calls them together, and these are our key verses for today. this passage and what Jesus taught about leadership. The first thing we notice is that he brings to light what they already knew about leadership. He points out the rulers of the Gentiles, dominating over them, the men of high positions exercising power. I took this from a different translation so you could see the different words used, dominate and exercising power. And so here, uh, these Gentiles, these non-believers are acting according to worldly forms of government and they're trying to rule with, for uh, self-advancement and for ego. And so Jesus knows that his disciples see this in the culture, and he says, uh, we're going to do it a different way. Uh, he explained to them why it's wrong. And then here, the key verses for today that we pointed out about being a servant and a slave, he uses this metaphor. Now, this is not the only time he says this to them. In fact, he says it again and again and again in different forms, even just throughout Matthew's gospel. If we look contextually in this one gospel, we see here as we go through uh, in chapter 19, he says, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Uh, In chapter 20, uh, this passage uh, from the parable of the vineyards and the workers, he points out the first will be last, the last will be first. He's flipping everything on its head. And then here, this passage we're looking at today, To be great, you must become a servant, to become a slave. And even in uh, chapter 21, the next chapter with the triumphal entry, we see Jesus himself modeling this, uh, riding on a coal, on a donkey, uh, into Jerusalem, uh, modeling this uh, servant leadership. He's not coming in on a white horse with military rule. In fact, this is what they would have been familiar with. In fact, this flipped their view upside down because of all the things we've been talking about. Where would they have seen this? Well, in their day, they would have even known the Greek sophists to say, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? Imagine that living in a culture, maybe ours is much like that today, where we say, how can we be happy if we have to serve someone? Don't we want to be the one that climbs to the top of the ladder, that achieves the greatest success, that has people under us that we can tell what to do and demand to uh, go get us our coffee and all these things. How can a man be happy when he has to serve? They would have heard these things uh, and they would have thought, oh, this must be what leadership is all about. Their idea of leader would have invoked authority in every uh, macho, A-type personality way. Uh, Ruling was the desired outcome. It wasn't leadership for the sake of serving people. It was leadership for self-advancement. Uh, They would have seen this in the oppressive government in how the Roman government uh, held other people down as a powerful government. It's not to say they didn't do anything good, but in their rule of government, they certainly made their power known. We see this in the reign of Caesar Augustus and in the wickedness of Herod Antipas as uh, he ruled during Jesus's time and in that uh, time of the New Testament. Uh, Part of what they did with the government was this exploitive taxation, showing power and demanding from its people uh, taxes and taxes beyond taxes and taxes beyond taxes after that. And uh, enforcing that in ways that led to really uh, negative disadvantages uh, for people who couldn't contribute. And then strong military rule, we see clearly as part of this uh, Roman government ruled world. They would have seen this authority. So in this metaphor of servant, then Jesus flips it upside down. In fact, if we think about the metaphor of servant and we think about what they would have known from their culture, let's think about what a metaphor tells us about. Metaphor may tell us about a leader's style. And if we're thinking about an oppressive government and a strictly run organization where Uh, The leader shares no power, but only uses it for self-advancement. It's very true in many cultures and countries of the world today where this still happens. What does that kind of leadership tell you about the leader's style and the leader himself or herself? What about the culture of that country or the organization? And we think about uh, what's accepted there. What about the values that that puts out and what people strive after? What will be rewarded, and if we reward those who get to the top, then many people will do whatever they can to get to the top, uh, pushing other people down along the way because they're trying to achieve the one thing they want, which is for themselves and how does that impact then relationships within the organization? Think about your school or the your place of work or business and sort of the culture and organization that there if The metaphor being presented is leadership as ultimate authority and power. Then, how does that impact people's relationship as they work in and amongst that organization? And there's a message that that communicates not only to people inside, but also to outside. And so, in this kind of emotional atmosphere that can be created, that would be similar to a closed system where people are tense and tight, they're uh, possessive, they're insensitive to feelings, they're often self. Uh, motivated for their own ego, and then they can be emotionally starved or repressed. But on the other hand, if the metaphor being presented in real life shows a servant or a slave, then that would be a much more open system. People would be comfortable. There'd be more love and trust in the relationships. There'd be sensitivity to to feelings, some empathy, humor, affection. People could express their feelings freely without fear of dangerous repercussion. And in in general, they would tend to enjoy life more. And so as we think about this from the alternate perspective of a metaphor of a servant or a slave, as Jesus is using here, we can think, again, what that would tell us about the leader style, how he or she wants to run the organization. Think about if you're a community group leader, Or if you're at school and you're leading a breakout room or group for a class discussion or class project, right? What kind of uh, culture can be presented when the leader herself or himself can serve others? This is what Jesus wants us to get to. How will that show what we value? And hopefully it shows that we value people and as Christians that we're grace oriented and that's important to us. Uh, What's going to be rewarded? In fact, in this passage in Matthew, Jesus is saying if you want to be great you should be a servant or a slave what's being rewarded and then how will that affect relationships you have within your organization or business or school as you lead in this type of way so you think about that what message is that communicating even to people on the outside as much as it communicates a message to the people uh that that work under you or for you so let's just look at those words of Jesus here again he says Not so with you. You're not going to lord it over people. You're not going to dominate people. That's not the kind of disciples I want you to be. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what verse 28 points out is not just that Jesus taught this to his disciples. It's one thing to say it, but it's another thing as a leader to do it. And so here's Jesus as a rabbi. Here's these disciples with a really privileged cultural opportunity to be students of a rabbi. And they're learning from their leader, not just these words, but here we see that Jesus modeled leadership by being a servant. Let's look right in this passage to see a couple of clues. He says, uh, can you drink from the cup? I am going to drink. And if you uh, look back into your Bible, I'll read to you from here uh, in chapter 20, just in the before where we started, they were going to Jerusalem and Jesus took his 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. He said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed by the leading priests. And teachers of religious law, they will sentence him to die. Jesus is talking about himself. He says they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. And so can you drink from the cup? I am going to drink. Jesus is saying, I'm going through with this. And this was the ultimate act of servant leadership for sure. Uh, Another place he shows it is in deciding who sits on the right and left. He says, well, these are places decided by my father. He shows his subordination to his father to decide these kinds of things. And we know that Jesus himself will be exalted to that place of privilege and authority and power at the right hand. That's what the father decided. This isn't the only place we see it. Matthew has been pointing out to his Jewish audience that he's writing to all the way through the gospel. Uh, this attitude of jesus even at his baptism it's recognized in chapter three the temptation of jesus in the desert in chapter four he relies on the father and on scripture Uh, he depends on those things to get through in the garden of gethsemane when in those anxious and terrible moments when he's realizing he's about to be taken away to be crucified he goes off by himself to pray and he says not my will but your will be done as he prays to his father. And then in the crucifixion, uh, they're shouting at him, they're mocking him, they're making fun of him. And they're like, just take yourself down. If you have power, take yourself down. And he resists all that mockery. And he, he stays there because he loves us. And he was serving us by giving his life as a ransom for many. Now this, idea of servant leadership certainly caught on with the disciples after the crucifixion and with the early apostles. We see Paul uh, writing to the letter to the people in Philippi, and he remembers this about Jesus and really vividly quotes and says, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Peter, who had denied Jesus at the crucifixion and ran away and was restored by Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead, writes to leaders in the church in the early church. And he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd, the flock of God that is among you. Now listen to the next words that he's saying. And hear the echo of the words of Jesus talking about servant leadership. Peter says, shepherd, the flock that is among you exercising oversight, but not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I hope you hear Jesus' own words in Peter's words there. And then John, in uh, his little epistle of 1 John chapter 3, says, this is how we even know what love is, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And that certainly applies to all of us and any of us in a leadership position today. So not only did Jesus teach about leadership, but he corrected their flawed view and he modeled it clearly in the way that he lived and he died for us. Well, let's make some applications today uh, for any of us in any capacity of leadership. If you're a parent, you're a leader. You might be an older sibling, you have leadership responsibilities in your school, your business, It doesn't matter if you're the owner, you have ways and places and opportunities to lead. And Jesus would be glorified if we lead biblically with a servant leadership in mind. So some applications we can make today. Three specifically. One just steeped in all of this is leading with humility. Uh, When you serve others, it just uh, seems to me like it helps keep our humility authentic. Um, you may have known leaders that are just full of ego, 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 and serving others is really not part of probably how they operate. Um, and if you've had a boss like that, or anyone who can be sometimes narcissistic, you realize they're in it for themselves. I bet you wouldn't pick that person as a boss if you could. But if you had a boss who cared about the staff and who, uh, cared about their well-being, collaborated, worked alongside. Um, You may see some humility in that. I bet you'd much more likely rather be around that person. So serving others can help keep your humility authentic. Makes me think of a verse in James where he talks about our religion. And he says religion, pure religion should be part of what he says is taking care of orphans and widows in their distress. And I think he says that the purity of our religion there Is because a widow, an orphan back in that day, they couldn't pay you back. So would you be willing to serve someone without expecting anything for yourself, except that you're obeying God? Um, And I think that's really a test for our humility today. Oftentimes, I'm not talking about a false humility. You may sometimes know people that are always like, well, you know, I'm no good at that. And and sometimes they say that just so you'll give them a compliment. Oh, no, you really are good. And. So that kind of false humility, they're seeking out some way to be flattered anyway. I don't know that that necessarily honors God, but a true humility where you're seeking the interests of others as a leader within the organization, you're still leading, but you're leading with people and for people, Uh, then I think that helps keep our humility authentic. Second application could be, be willing to develop others. Um, It's hard for people to give up the spotlight oftentimes, but this helps keep our humility in check. Uh, A few things from an article in uh, Church Leader, it's like a daily thing, a daily newsletter, and it talks about leaders often can just talk way too much um, in a meeting. And so part of that can be a a humility issue. If you find yourself talking more than half the time, think about why you're doing that you know if if you find your staff is coming to you just for answers all the time and there's not for any sense of collaboration or they're not offering solutions maybe you've created a scenario where you want them to depend on you and often really that's an ego thing and we have to check that at the door and watch that carefully and uh if another person's talking you're formulating your response if you find that happening a lot then that's another thing to keep an eye on. Because when we do that, we often miss half of what the person is actually saying. And uh, being a good listener is really a key uh, for being a good leader. And our third and final application for today is to lead with integrity. Uh, Keep yourself in line with God so your leadership isn't derailed by sin. Uh, Many of us know and could point to stories uh, in the press or even in our own lives and churches where we see a Christian leader who falls into sin, whether that's moral or sin or financial sin. Uh, and all different, You see this growing in all kinds of different denominations. And the pain and the suffering this brings, not only to their individual families, but to people that were on staff with them and in church with them or in their organizations or business. They were trusted and they broke that trust by sinning. And so for us to lead with integrity uh, means not to get full of ourselves, uh, to remember we're not the hero of the story. Jesus is. And oftentimes it seems like when these things happen, when people get derailed by sin, it's just fed by their ego and their self-importance, the way people look look up to them. Uh, and like the way they think and dress and appear and their charisma, all of this put together can if we handle it the wrong way, can lead a leader astray and make us fall off the path with God. And so for us to lead with integrity, it's a daily, hourly check for the decisions we're making, the motivations behind those decisions, and the humility that needs to undergird it all. Because again, we're not the hero of the story Jesus is. And so we'll close with his words one more time. And you can read them there on your screen. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we head into 2021, in whatever spheres of influence and opportunities you have to lead, may we all lead biblically uh, by being a servant to others. Make it a great day.
0: Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.